0: This Christmas, we've been talking about the promise of Christmas, and every week I've been celebrating some of the great promises that are there for us because Christ came for us. If you have your um, message outline in front of you, I want to invite you to grab that out Maybe grab a pen because I'm going to be inviting you during this series to take some notes on something hopefully that you're learning or that you're thinking about. And maybe most importantly, you would write down some new learnings or or maybe some God whispers on that little outline there in front of you. Um, And also, I'd invite you to take out your Bible or your technology device that you might open up the Bible because we're going to be reading some scriptures together today. Now, before I dive into the message for the day, I want to share just a couple of things that are close to my heart. So I want you to really, really grab them, okay? The first thing is this is an awesome week. Yes, it's... Can we go ahead and say this is Christmas week, okay? We are in Christmas week. And um, the cool thing about Christmas this year is that it falls on Sunday. Now, I know that makes it a little different for many of us, right? But think about it this way. We have a chance here at our church to worship three times this week, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. And I've heard, matter of fact, I, my uh, my future son-in-law leads worship for a very large church up in the Gwinnett area, and they're calling off worship on Christmas Day. Hey, we're not doing that around here, okay? We are going to worship on Christmas Eve, and we're going to worship on Christmas Day. Now, real quickly, Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, we have a six o'clock worship service, and we ha- we make that a shorter worship service because we know that you're pulling away from your family, but it's an awesome worship service. And I kind of want to give you a real quick forecast on that, okay? Um, our Christmas Eve worship, uh, we'll be singing some hymns. Um, I'll bring the message, uh, the, I think it's the fifth part in this series on the promise of Christmas. My favorite part is when we receive communion, we not only receive communion, but we get an unlit candle. And then there will be a special moment in that service, and I've, I've spoke about this just a couple weeks ago, when after everyone has received communion, we go dark in this place. And it goes pitch black in this room, and we are reminded of what the world was like before the love of Christ came. And then there will be one single candle that comes in the door, and we will light those candles throughout this room, and we will fill this room with light, and we will remember that Christ is the light of the world, and he's called us to be the light of the world. And we will sing Silent Night together. It is a holy, holy moment. And I I encourage you to kind of hit the pause button on your Christmas Eve and come join your faith family here. And if you have uh, family members in town, pull them along. Tell them they need to be here. I'm I'm planning to bring a very special message that night. It's going to be a great night, so don't miss Christmas Eve. One more thing about Christmas Eve. That night, we're going to take our first offering for Return to Bethlehem 2017. Now, if you don't know what Return to Bethlehem is, open up your worship guide, and I think there's a little description of it in there, but I'll give you a real quick, a real short synopsis. Return to Bethlehem is a ministry that we started years ago here at this church where we build the village of Bethlehem and we invite folks to come through that village and um, experience the sights, the sounds, the smells of what Bethlehem might have been like on that night. We do it free of charge because it's our Christmas gift to our community. And just imagine uh, seeing dramas all along the way, the Annunciation, Herod, uh, speaking to the Magi. You see dramas all along the way. You, you see taxes collected. You see fishmongers. You, see, you hear people singing in Hebrew. You see children playing. You see fire pits. You see all this stuff happening, but you don't find the Christ there. You move beyond the walls of Bethlehem to a quiet manger. And um, we, we started this several years ago And we saw thousands of people come through this small village of Bethlehem. And um, we saw people give their life to Christ. It is a holy moment. It It is our way of serving the community. What we didn't know was it became a huge bonding thing for us as we, as the church, put on uh, costumes, you know, and everybody. It was an all-skate moment. Everybody, children, youth, everybody got involved in this dramatic production of what it was like to return to Bethlehem. Now, for the last few years, I think it's five, for the last five years, we've not been able to have Return to Bethlehem because we didn't have our own space. But guess what? Now we got our own space. So during the early part of 2017, we're gonna rebuild the city right here on the back side of our property. And by the end of December uh, of 2017, yay! Yeah. By the end of 2017, we're gonna bring back Return to Bethlehem. You don't realize how many folks call every year. Every year, folks will call our phone here and say, Do you have Return to Bethlehem back? It impacted their lives. They're looking forward to it. Well, on Christmas Eve, we're gonna be taking our offering that night, and we're gonna be giving a first fruits offering. return to Bethlehem. It costs money to build a village like that, and we're going to let you give towards that right here at the close of this year. Now, the next thing I want to mention to you, just two more things, and we're going to dive into the message for the day. Christmas Day, Christmas Day worship is as normal, right? 1030. I will preach a little shorter message. I'll get you out here quicker, all right, because it's Christmas Day. I I hear you, Johnny. Yeah. And then, uh, but it's going to be an awesome day. So join us on Christmas Day. And then finally, we haven't announced this, but I want to announce it for the first time today. January the 8th. By the way, that's going to feel like tomorrow, you know? January the 8th, which is just a few Sundays from right now, we're going to host a family and friends day here at Harvest Point. That's actually inside your worship guide. It's not just up on the screens, so you can read about that a little bit in your worship guide. but family and friends day is going to be january the 8th and here's what we're going to do we're going to ask you to invest and invite we're going to ask you to invest in a conversation with a family member or friend and invite them to church and here's what we're going to promise you on that day we're going to do the best the best we have to offer here at harvest point I'm going, to, I'm going to preach my best. We're going to have great music. It's going to be a phenomenal day. And then when, when worship is over, we're going to give them a free lunch, all right? We're going to do a Shane's Rib Shack lunch, and we're going to invite them to be a part of it. If you were a part of when we opened this church, Consecration Sunday and our grand opening, you'll have a feel for what it's going to be like. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be an awesome day. On that very same day, we'll be rolling out HP Connect that you've been hearing so much about. That'll actually be out in the lobby while food is going on inside the sanctuary. So don't miss out on this phenomenal opportunity. Invite. Family members, and friends to come to church with you as we start 2017. Okay, so everybody look at me real quickly. You know this, right? You know that when a brand new year starts out, more people are going to go to the gym than any other time in the year, right? You know that, right? Yeah, you are some of those people, right? That's right. And you know this, right? You know that when a brand new year, some folks think to themselves, I'm going to go back to church, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this year right. It is a phenomenal opportunity that we have to invite folks into that kind of felt need, that kind of hunger that they already have to get back into church. So don't miss this opportunity, all right? January the 8th, mark it down. Two things I'm asking you to do: invest in a conversation and invite a family member or a friend to come to church with you. All right? Hey, let's study God's word. So we've been talking about the promises of Christmas. We've talked about hope. We've talked about love. We've talked about joy. Today, we're going to talk about mercy. Now, remember what I'm asking you to think about as we talk about these promises. We're looking back to the story, and we're saying, where can we find this this promise somewhere in the story? That's what we're going to do today. Where do we find mercy in the biblical narrative of the Christmas story. But then we're moving beyond that. We're pressing forward, and we're saying, now what is the call to action for me and how I'm supposed to live that out in my daily life? That's what we're doing this Advent season. We're thinking about the coming of the Christ and thinking about these promises as they they were given to us through the narrative story. So today we're going to talk about mercy. We're going to talk about mercy. We're going to talk about promise, the promise of mercy. You know this past week when i was preparing to speak to you by the way i did, i just uh, have to say thank you for allowing me to be your pastor i was getting dressed to come to church this morning i was thinking in my soul i'm so grateful that i get to preach at christmas time it is an honor for me to be able to share the good news of the coming of the christ and i get to do that over and over again so thank you for allowing me to be your pastor the promise of christmas do you know what it's like for somebody to make a promise to you Do you know what it's like for somebody to break a promise to you? Do you know what it's like to have the expectation and the hope when somebody promises you something and then they don't deliver on that something? Do you know what it's like to actually be disappointed because somebody made a promise to you and they didn't keep that promise? Now, here's the good news in the gospel. God never makes a promise that he won't keep. You will never be disappointed that God didn't keep his promise to you because what God promises, he always fulfills. Now, something I've noticed about Christmas, and this is Christmas week, so I kind of want to just run there with you real quickly. At Christmas, we are by nature more emotional beings, okay? We have a lot of expectation and hope, and we, we are excited because we're going to get to spend, some, hopefully, some good time with family members. There is joy. There is Uh, hopefully good time with, uh, with friends and family, upcoming. We have a lot of good stuff kind of built in us. At the same time, there can be this duality that goes on because maybe that's somebody sitting close to you, but your life's going through something totally different. Maybe you recently lost your job. Maybe you've got family that's far away and your heart's a little bit sadder because you're not with them. Maybe there has been some type of loss in your life. We had we had somebody lose a a father this past week right here in our body. And it's going to make Christmas feel a little bit different than it would have if they were still with them because of that death in their life. And here's something I've noticed that Christmas is full of emotions. And sometimes those emotions can be hugely joyful and sometimes they can be really loud and filled with loss. And sometimes when they're loud and filled with loss, and we move through Christmas, they're kind of louder at Christmas, you know what I mean? When you have loss going on in your world, it just gets louder at Christmas. You're more aware of the loss or maybe the the dysfunction in the family or maybe the conflict that's going on with you and other other members of your family. There's that duality. And I just want to remind you, one one of my mentors said, when you think about life, Don't think about it like mountaintops and valleys. Oh, I'm really good right now. Oh, now I'm down in the dumps. Don't think of it that way. Think of life like railroad tracks. There's always something good going on. There's always some rough stuff going on at the same time. That's every one of our lives, right? In every life, there will be some great stuff happening, and there'll be some stuff. And sometimes it seems like the railroad course leaning more on one track than the other one, right? That's the duality of this thing. It reminds me, of when somebody comes up and they said, hey, you want good news or bad news? You ever had somebody do that with you? By the way, do you ever want somebody to come up and say, I got good news and bad news for you? Do you ever want that to happen? No. I mean, if somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, I got good news and I got bad news, which one you want first? Normally, you're already bracing yourself to think that I'm not going to look forward to this conversation. I don't really want to hear what you've got to say, right? Have you ever thought about it this way in the Christmas story? Joseph, who is who we're going to look at today when we think about mercy. We're going to to look through the lens of Joseph. Joseph was a man who who was so excited. Life was really good. He had a a girl that he was excited about. He had a plan to be married. He uh, had a job. Things were looking right His family was going to join their family. They were going to start a brand new life. And then one day, Mary comes up to him. I know it's not in the gospel, but just imagine with me for a minute. And says, I got good news and bad news. (laughs) Which one you want first? (laughs) Now, see, I thought about it all week long. And I thought about it, if I was Joseph, what it would have sounded like asking for the good news first and the bad news. And it doesn't come out very good, okay? And if I asked for the bad news first and the good news, it still doesn't come out very good, okay? When she said good news, bad news, which one you want first? I mean, imagine what came out of her mouth and what went through Joseph's mind in the next few minutes. I mean, maybe she gave him the good news first. I'm going to have the Messiah one day i'm going to birth the savior of the world great mary bad news what's the bad news and by the way i'm pregnant right now (laughs) and it's not yours or vice versa good news bad news i mean can you imagine what went through joseph's mind guys i wonder for myself the emotions that it was i wonder if at first it was confusion I wonder if he even asked her, can you repeat yourself and explain it a little bit more? I mean, when she told him the whole story of the angel visit, do you imagine? Hey, men, can I talk to you for a minute? Do you just imagine that he sat back and just kind of looked at her like, goo, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. I mean, you ever, you ever wonder what went on in Joseph's mind? What, what, what did he feel? What emotions were there? I, I can just tell you that if it were me, good news, bad news, and you dropped that kind of bad news on me, I have a hard time believing there wouldn't be some type of anger arise in me. Or maybe maybe it would be frustration that I don't understand. I don't think there's any way you can take it out of the equation that I would not feel betrayed. That I wouldn't think, I cannot believe what you've done to me. In, in Joseph's world, that little good news and bad news moment when she had it with him... We don't know exactly how it all came out, but here's what we do know. The Bible tells us two things about Joseph right at the very beginning. Read it with me and watch for these two things. It says Joseph was a righteous man, but then it also says Joseph decided to take action. The Bible says it this way in Matthew 1:18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together... She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, notice these two things, being a righteous man. It tells us that he was righteous, which normally means that he's in a right relationship with God and he does good and righteous things. He he does good. He's a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned. You might want to underline that word in your outline, planned to dismiss her quietly. So no matter what the emotions were from Joseph, we learned two things right out of the gate that he was righteous, and that he was going to take action. Beyond his emotions, he was going to take action in this situation. Now, why would Joseph take action, and how would Joseph take action? That's kind of the key question. The why is simply this, number one, for himself. I mean, this, is, this was his engagement. This was his girl, and now this news that she's pregnant, this has an impact on him. So he would take action for himself, first and foremost, personally. But there's another side that according to the Bible, if a, if a woman that you're engaged to comes up and, and she's found to be pregnant and it's not your child, then you are, you are called to take a righteous action. And in this situation, there were only two actions that could be taken. He could either disforce, divorce her and dismiss her, put her away and say, well, you have nothing to do with me. This is over. You broke our contract. Get away. Dismiss her. Divorce her. Or... He could call for the death penalty. And according to Levitical law, the death penalty, she could be stoned to death because she was having a baby that was not his. By the way, neither one of those feel like very good options, do they? (laughs) Neither one of those feel like very good places to be. When Joseph is heartbroken, probably feels betrayed, and the Bible says he's a righteous man... He's unwilling to expose her to public disgrace. He chooses option A for him. He says he's going to plan to dismiss her quietly. Can I hit the pause button for just a minute? just want to press the pause button. You know, every Advent, when I get a chance to preach to you about the Christmas story, I'm reminded of something. That when we listen to our radios and we watch our TV shows about Christmas, it all looks really polished. And it all looks beautiful and bright and happy. But the truth of the matter is, every Christmas when I come to this place in the story, I have to remind you that the Christmas story is not some beautifully polished Pollyanna happiness story. There, is, there can be great heartbreak in this story. There can be great confusion. And I'm sitting here today preaching about the promises of Christmas. Can I tell you, when Joseph got the good news, bad news, here's one of the things you can take to the bank in that moment. It did not look promising. In that moment, it looked like his world was crumbling. So what does Joseph do? You know, before I get to what Joseph did and kind of go back over there and hit that unpause button, I just want to remind you that you might be in one of those very unpromising moments in your life right now. You might be in one of those very broken places. And what I want to tell you is, listen... The gospel story is for you. Today, you're going to hear a story about how God turned everything up on its side, how God how God took something that looked like it was a dead end street and he opened up a new way, how God is the God of second chances. And he steps in and he says, listen, you think your world is crumbled, but I have a plan that you don't even understand. You don't know about. And if you're in one of those dark moments of life right now, I would speak to you have an open ear and an ho- open heart for the gospel. Because the gospel, it, it's not, it doesn't play games. It paints a story that, that is a real story. It, it's, a, it's a brash story. It's a story about people who were living some very bold and courageous lives in the middle of their not knowing what God was about to do. Or maybe, you know what, maybe you've got a family member, maybe you've got a friend, maybe you've got a coworker. maybe you've got an employee that's in that place right now. Hey, maybe you need to speak a word over them this week. That says, you know what, you might be in the worst place you've ever been, but God's still here. And God hadn't, he, you know who he is? He's the God of second chances. I heard about him yesterday in church. He's the God who opens up a way when it looks like everything else is gone and it looks like the world you had planned crumbles. God still got a plan. This is the story of Joseph. unpause. So Joseph, what do we, we celebrate in Joseph? I mean, one of the things I see in Joseph that is amazing to me is the, the boldness and the courage he had. Because God is going to call him to do something that I think is, would, would just seem so very, very hard to do. But before we get there, let's look at his first decision. His first decision is that he's going to dismiss her quietly. And so what does he do? What do we learn from Joseph? He decides that he's going to dismiss her, divorce her quietly, but what does he do? He's a wise guy. I'll tell you what he does. He decides to sleep on it before he shares the news with her, okay? You know this, right? And so he's going to go sleep on it before he shares the news that she, he will have nothing to do with her anymore. Before we read this next scripture, let me just ask you, have you ever had a sleepless night before? And don't you imagine this was kind of one of those nights for Joseph? how he had made a decision, and the next day he was going to go and share it with Mary. And have you ever wondered what that night was like for him? But sometime in the middle of that night, Joseph goes and drops off to sleep. And it's in that moment that God meets him in a dream in the form of an angel. And that angel comes, and that angel gives a new word, a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of mercy, a word that is that says, you know, your life ain't over and I've got new plans. A word that says, hey, your dreams, your hopes, your, your aspirations for your future, they're not done. I have a greater plan in mind. I am the God of a second chance. Watch this. The Bible says, but when, just when he had resolved. By the way, I don't think I'd ever realized that word was sitting there until I was getting ready to preach this message I mean, Joseph was resolved. He'd made up his mind. He was going to dismiss her. He was a resolved, resolute guy. Just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. By the way, that name is the, the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means he will save. You will name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. While I just leave that scripture up there for a minute, can I just kind of recap what God just said in the dream? By the way, Joseph here's confirmed the very same thing that he just heard from Mary, but now with an angel. And what does the angel say? A few things. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That probably tells me that he was afraid, okay? He was afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. He says this, give her mercy. That's not in the print there, but he basically says, extend to her grace. Extend to her mercy. She needs you right now. And I think of it this way. God says to Joseph, would you love me enough to trust me right now? That I've got a plan. And would you love her enough to trust her right now? That she's not been unfaithful? And would you give her mercy? And beyond that, Joseph, I'm calling you to give mercy and grace to the child that's in her body. It's not your child. But I'm calling you to give grace and mercy to him and to raise him like your own son, and to love him that way. And if you will give grace and mercy to her, and you'll give grace and mercy to him, I will give grace and mercy to the world through him. And his mercy will save the world. Name him Jesus. The Lord saves. Name him that. You know, it's in this moment right here. That we get the picture of who God really is. That God is the God who makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. That God's the God of second chances. That that God is the one who says, hey, I'm the God of do-overs. You know, in my front yard and my little, when we used to play in my front yard, we used to play, my house was a place where everybody came to play ball, okay? We played baseball, we played frisbee, we played football in my front yard, but there were these power lines that went across the front yard. And so if you'd ever throw the football and it hit the power lines, you know, And no matter what down it was, it hit the power lines. Everybody would yell the same thing over and over again, right? Do over, do over. And you'd all go back to where it was like it never even happened before. God is the God of do-overs. You ever had do-overs in your life? You ever needed a do-over? This is a do-over moment where God says, listen, I got a plan here. Trust me, trust me, trust me. By the way, I love what God does in this moment. Read this next scripture from Matthew 1, verse 22. It says this. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he went to sleep with a plan. He went to sleep resolute. When he awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him the Lord saves. Jesus, the Lord saves. (laughs) Can I just just draw a little bit of duality here for a minute? Remember that duality that I was talking about earlier of, of great joy, but there's some pain sometimes? Remember that duality of good news and bad news? Can I just draw the duality that's going on here? When Joseph went to bed the plan was a plan that was filled with several things. I mean, it was a plan that was, that, that was going to be about death, and it was about betrayal and her hurting him. It was about divorce, possibly, and dismissal. It was about broken hearts and broken dreams. But what God does in the dream in the middle of the night changes all of that. And now the new plan has nothing to do with all that death, divorce, dismissal, all that pain. It doesn't have anything to do with that. When Joseph wakes up, Now God has given him a plan, and this plan is more about mission. It's more about hope. It's more about purpose. It's about a new way forward. And here's the promise. Extend mercy. Raise mercy up in your home. Teach mercy my way. And mercy will save the world. You know, if I've learned anything about mercy, which is the promise that I want to lift up this Christmas season to you right now, I've just learned a couple of things. I bet you have too. You might want to write these down. Two lessons about mercy. The first one is, number one, I need it. I need it more and more and more. I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I make way too many mistakes. I fail too many times. And I love that scripture where it says God's mercies are new every morning because I've learned this about me. I need mercy. But here's the second thing I've learned about mercy, and I'm learning every day, and I'm living it right now. I'm learning it right now as a dad. And that is this. In order for me to really be a mercy-filled person, to be a merciful person, to give away mercy, you know what I have to do? I'm learning this, and I have learned it, and I am learning it. I have to get over my stuff. I have to get over me. I have to get over my rights and my privileges to be right. I have to get over all my stuff, and I have to just give somebody mercy. You know, Joseph, Joseph had a lot of reasons to be upset. He had a lot of reasons to be mad, and he had a lot of reasons not to give mercy, right? But God calls Joseph to give mercy And Joseph literally has to get over himself in order to do that. And here's the question that I have for you. Aren't you so glad that Joseph gave mercy to Mary? Aren't you so glad that Joseph loved Mary as his wife and loved Jesus as his own son? Have you ever been the recipient of that kind of mercy before? That kind of favor? This morning we had the McClouds light the candle of peace. Peace and mercy. Peace and mercy are two promises of Christmas that are wrapped together like a cord or a rope. Let me say it a little differently. Joseph was not going to get peace. But mercy became his pathway to peace. Joseph was probably pent up with all kinds of emotions that were just killing him on the inside. But because he gave mercy, it became his pathway to peace. And not only was he the recipient of mercy through that dream that night, that God had picked him to be the father of the Savior of the world, but he had been called now to give away that peace and that mercy into his family. Now, what's amazing about mercy and peace is that during that time, there was something going on in the world called Pax Romana. Everybody looked to Caesar like he was the greatest guy on the planet because during that season, It's kind of like a world peace had taken over. Rome was expanding, and Rome had taken over so many parts of the world. Rome was influencing and and, uh, literally overseeing and dominating. every. And there weren't a lot of wars happening around the world. So people called it the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And you know who they thought the Prince of Peace was? It was a guy named Caesar, a guy who was leading Rome. And it was in the Pax Romana, in that period of time, that the God of the universe births the Prince of Peace. He's born in a stable. He's born with some shepherds there, you know. He's born to a little 13, 14-year-old girl and a guy who is giving mercy and peace to his wife. And can I just tell you, there's a beautiful thought there in there for you and for me, that we can have deeper peace if we'll just become greater mercy givers. I've learned this about myself. I can't have peace with God unless I receive God's mercy, receive God's forgiveness. But you know what happens? God gives his mercy and his grace over to me over and over again, and it becomes my pathway to peace. And guess what he does from that place? He says to me, I want you to now give mercy to other people. You give that away. And do you know what? That even gives me deeper peace when I become a mercy giver. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the peacemakers. God's called us to be peacemakers and mercy givers. Now here's what I want to point out about Joseph. This was not a one-time decision for Joseph. Oh, I'm going to give mercy to Mary, and I'm just going to love on them, and I'll take care of them. For Joseph, this became the way he lived. Joseph was a man who was going to give mercy and mercy and mercy over and over again. He was going to love her like she had ne- she had been faithful to him all of her days. He was going to love that little baby like he was his own boy. This is the man who would take them from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt back again. This is the man who would give mercy and mercy over and over again. And you know what? This wasn't just a small decision. This was, this was something big because... People looked at him, and there were whispers, and there were looks, and there was, there was gossip. There were comments about Mary and the baby and all this stuff. You know what he did? He kept giving mercy away. This is his wife. This is his boy. He did all, he endured all this, and yet continued to give away merciful, mercy. So here's a question I have for you this Christmas season. How merciful are you? Think of it for a minute. How merciful will you even be this week? If somebody says something to you that's not very nice, will you forgive them? If somebody acts the fool at your house, and you know they will do that, right? Family member, you know everybody's got a black sheep. And if your family don't have a black sheep, you probably are the black sheep. But anyway, everybody's got one of them, right? What are you going to do when somebody does you wrong this week? Can you give mercy? When somebody acts or says something they shouldn't have done, can you act merciful? When you look at somebody, maybe in your family, who is the person in the greatest need of care and love, can you be the one in the room who is the most compassionate? Here's the question. How merciful? Let me say that differently. How filled with mercy are you? You know, every week towards the close of a message, I challenge you with a call to action. I say, we see mercy in the Christmas story way back there. What does it look like for us today? And the call to action for us today is that we would be agents of mercy in our families and in our workplaces and in our church and in our communities, that we would be the people filled with mercy. And you know what that means? It's not easy. It's not That means if somebody in your family or in your workplace needs forgiveness, maybe this is the week that you need to call them or write them a note or maybe you need to have that conversation and extend grace and extend mercy because that's what God is calling us to do. If there's a word of forgiveness, if you've been holding a grudge, if you've been mad at somebody, it's time to let that thing go because you're hearing God's word today That God's called you to be filled with mercy. Maybe it would mean that you're more patient with somebody who really gets on your nerves. You know what I mean? That you're more patient and you just give them more grace. Maybe it would mean that you serve somebody who doesn't have what you have. Who hasn't been blessed with all the stuff you've been blessed with. Just want to remind you of a couple of scriptures here. These are the words of Jesus. In one scripture it says this. The Gospel of Luke. Luke six thirty six. Be merciful. Be filled with mercy. Have mercy overflowing in you just as your Father is filled with mercy and having overflow of mercy from Him. Jesus said it this way in another place. He said... Blessed, happy, filled with peace are the merciful. Those who are filled with mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Now one more time, if you realize you need mercy, this is a wonderful moment for you to say, you know what? You know one of the ways that the Bible promises me, I'll be shown mercy if I give mercy away. So I want to challenge you this week to give mercy away. Give it away. And be aware of those moments where you have an opportunity to give forgiveness, mercy, grace. Now, here's a final thought, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, okay? Here's what I've realized about Christmas. Can I just point out one of the dangers of Christmas? Wow, this is such a danger for every one of us. We get so busy at Christmas, we can run so very fast. We have so very, very much to do and all the buying and the wrapping and the planning and the cooking, right? We have a lot to do. But one of the things that happens in our business and all of our dates and our calendars and our parties is that people actually become an obstacle to us. There's something that we've got to move around or get around or move by, you know, get out of my way. People become obstacles to us because we've got to navigate around them and get our own stuff done. What I want to remind you of is that, listen now, when this life is over, people is the only thing that's going to go to the next one, okay? Right? So it's not the stuff that matters. It's not the calendar that matters. It's not the parties that matter. It's not the wrapping that matters. It's not the food that matters. You know, you, I want to challenge you to open up your eyes. Watch this. Lynn, can I use you as a metaphor for a minute? I didn't plan on this. Go with me. Can I have your glasses? That's all I need. He said, I won't be able to see. They're very strong. Whoa, you ain't kidding. Here's what I want to challenge you. What if this Christmas, what if today, Christmas week, right? Christmas week. What if all week long you tried to look through the lens of mercy? Oh, Jesus, let it be. What if all week long you looked through the lens of mercy and you tried to pay attention to the people that were all around you, not the stuff. Not the calendar. You didn't treat them like obstacles to move around or get over. But you you tried to say, you know what? I'm gonna look deeper. Oh God, help me really see. Help me see. You know what I know? I know there's people in my family. And I know there's people in your family. I know there's people all around us in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Guys, they need grace. They need mercy. They need affection, they need compassion, they need care. And God called you today to church to remember the promise of Christmas is mercy for you. That you can get mercy anew today. And not only that, it doesn't stop there. You can be filled with mercy, mercy fall, and give that mercy away. And I'm a dad and I'm a husband. I'm those things before I'm ever a pastor, right, before I'm ever something else. I'm, I'm a dad and a husband. I want my wife to look at me like I'm a compassionate man, like I'm a man filled with mercy. I'm a man filled with grace. I want my kids to look at me not like some drill sergeant, not like they got to live up to dad's expectations. Not like this, that, or the other. I want my kids to look at me like, Dad's full of grace. Daddy's full of mercy, merciful. Jesus grew up in a home with a man who was filled with mercy. And for that, I'm grateful. Your family will be grateful if today you receive mercy, receive forgiveness. Understand that we serve a God of great compassion and great mercy. And not only does He forgive us and bestow mercy upon us, He calls us to then be the agents that give it to the rest of the world. Would you cry out for mercy today? And would you ask God for the power to live this Christmas season looking through the lens of mercy? Would you pray with me? Father, we have to start with us. We need mercy. Would you forgive us and wash us clean? We've betrayed you time and time again. We've gone our own way. We are a people of rebellion. And God, we will fill you again. We know it, but would you bestow mercy on us this morning? Would you wash us clean? Would you would you make us new? And would you would you would you remind us? Would you remind us that you're the God of the do-over, that you're the God of a second chance? And that you want to give us that over and over again. Do over. Do over. We receive that. That's a good thing. Thank you, oh God, for the new chance, the new start, the new day. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us new eyes to see. That this Christmas you would fill us with mercy and help us look through the lens of mercy. Help us to do it with our children and our grandchildren. Help us to do it with our, our parents and our aunts and our uncles and our cousins and our nephews. Help us to do it beyond the family with our, our co-workers and our employees. Help us to be a people of mercy and in and, and so doing, be your children, your sons and daughters. Fill us with mercy like you are filled with mercy, God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would let your mercy flow in our families and our church and may let peace be there as well, intertwined in that mercy. And may all this be as a result of who you are working through us. Father, in the next few minutes as we give to your kingdom gain, we are reminded that you invite us to give generously as you gave. And your word reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave. You didn't just love, you, you took action. And so we pray that you would take our gifts this morning and multiply them beyond our reach to do great things for the kingdom of God and let your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. So be it, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.